What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Today's episode is brought to you by Bilt Bar. Go to BiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 10 bucks off your next order. Happy Wednesday to you. We're doing herd mentality again today on this podcast. I told you earlier this week and yesterday that we had a lot to get to, a lot of questions, and so I have 13 more to dig into this week. Wanted to make sure I get to everyone, and this is kind of the beautiful thing about it not being called Twitter Tuesday anymore because I don't feel weird doing Twitter Tuesday on a Wednesday if we get a bunch of questions that I want to answer. So it's herd mentality. It's the idea that you take control of the show. I answer your questions, your comments, your takes, your opinions as we gather the pulse of Bill's Mafia. You can have your questions answered on an episode of Herd Mentality by sending an email, joe at thedraftnetwork.com or hit me up on Twitter at the Joe Marino hashtag Herd Mentality or shoot me a DM. The DMs are open. Tomorrow on the podcast, I'm looking forward to getting into a money discussion with you. We're going to talk about this Bill's salary cap situation. Really get into the weeds with which contracts are up, how much it's going to cost to bring those guys back, who they can cut this year to save some cash, all that type of stuff. So don't miss that. Make sure that you are subscribed. That's our concept for Thursday. But today, herd mentality again. We'll start with Vito. Vito says, hey, Joe, continuity amongst coaching staffs is generally good, but I'm wondering if having a new coaching staff with no preseason this year has any sort of a competitive advantage. Little to no film to study given there is no preseason compared to a team like Buffalo that has two-plus years of film on their system. It's an interesting angle. I'd immediately say that the advantages of having the same players together in the same scheme certainly trumps the unknowns of how that new offense is going to look with those players that have never been in that offense. But I'll also say... Very rarely are teams year-to-year exactly the same in personnel, and there's always going to be tweaks. This year's Bills team, while it's the same core players and the same coaching staff, Stephon Diggs is part of the mix, and I think that makes the offense different. Zach Moss is part of the mix. Devin Singletary is the feature guy without Frank Gore. I think there's enough things to be uncertain about where I don't think it's a disadvantage at all. Now, I was thinking about this. Like, Could you imagine going up against the Carolina Panthers in week one? I mean, they have literally nobody returning from last year's team. I say nobody, but they have some guys, right? But for the most part, like, I think 46% of their snaps from last year are returning. Joe Brady's coming over from LSU. Matt Rule's the head coach. He's coming from college. Phil Snow was a defensive coordinator for like 30 years in college, runs like a 3-3-5 scheme. You're out there watching LSU tape and Baylor tape to get ready to play the Carolina Panthers. Now, that would be tough. The Raiders played the Panthers in week one. Maybe that'll give them, give them the edge there. I don't know. Panthers have a pretty weak roster, but I think there's there's some there's some things to take away from this idea, Vito, uh, but um, I'm not sure that I'm going to say it's a disadvantage because you have continuity in any way, shape, or form because that's going to trump those unknowns that I think you get into. Um, but yeah, it's going to be weird initially, right? We don't even, we're not even getting reports from beat reporters on where guys are lining up, who's taking first team reps, second team reps. Normally we can at least see that in a preseason game. We're not going to know anything until week one. So we're, we're going into this thing pretty blind. Uh, from a you know a fan and media perspective uh, as well, so 
a lot of a lot of weirdness this year. Rob says, you mentioned possibly putting Steven Hauschka on the practice squad. Now, if I remember correctly, veterans are eligible for the practice squad. Has something changed with the new CBA that would allow a veteran like Hauschka or even Frank Gore, for that matter, to be put on a practice squad? Yes, let's remind everyone of what the new rules are for the CBA this year uh, with COVID. So uh, the practice squad is up to 16 players. So that's a big jump. Last year it was 10. The Bills had 11 with Christian Wade. Now 16. The Bills can keep 17 on their practice squad if Christian Wade's one of them. And up to six of those players may be included with no maximum of accrued seasons. So you can have up to six players on your practice squad that have played as many years in the NFL as they possibly can. Yeah, Frank Gore could be on a practice squad this year. A team may protect four players each week from being signed from another team on the practice squad. So those are the the new rules when it comes to the practice squad. So yeah, Steven Hauschka, I mean, everybody's eligible, but only six. Only six can have um, limitless accrued seasons. Nick says, hey Joe, it's not sharks or landmines, but here's an off-the-wall one for you. The NFL replaces Roger Goodell with Joe Marino as commissioner. What is the first move you make to better the league. I honestly go straight to Thursday night football. This is my plan to make Thursday night football better. I'm going to have three simple rules. It's common sense. And I think this will improve that product on Thursday night. Rule number one, only teams coming off a bye can play on Thursday night football. So no more of this Short weeks for anybody. So you can only play coming off of a bye. And it's really nice for the players because then they get another long prep time for their next opponent. So you really maximize some downtime in the season. Rule number one, only teams coming off a bye can participate in Thursday night football. Um, Number two, to make this feasible, we add a second bye week into the season. So every team now gets two bye weeks which I think is a good thing for players. It's a long, grinding season. You need time to get healthy and recharge the batteries, and we get a longer season in general. Like, I mean, that's more money for owners. It's another week of regular season football. So the schedule goes to 18 weeks. But you still play 16 games under my plan. The third rule is that Thursday night football only happens in week one, right, the season kickoff on Thursday night. And then you don't have it in weeks two, three, or four, but then it's back weeks five through 18. So that's what I would do. I sort of wanted to take this to another level and say that I would want double headers every Thursday and Monday, like a seven o'clock kick and a 10 15 kick. That way, the West Coast gets actual primetime games. You ever think about this? These games that start at. 8.30 on the West Coast, it's like 5.30 for them. They never get a true primetime game, a true night game. So what I would do is I would think about it. I'd have to talk to people to make sure this would work. But every Thursday and Monday night, I would have double headers, a 6.30 kick and a 10 o'clock kick or something like that. Just get more primetime game. Get your product out there to more people. Generate more TV revenue. Have more exposures for your players to the national audiences. If you were to do my plan, you would have every week 
two two games on Thursday, two games on Monday, you would add two primetime games a week, and you have less competing games on Sundays. So your opportunity for more people to see your product more and have more exposure to teams is even greater. I, I would want to consider ways to do that. And so when you add in that second bye week, I think it becomes a feasible plan. Michael says, after rewatching last year's games, my impression was that the Bills were poor at executing the screen pass. My first question is, what are the key components to executing a successful screen pass? I'll give you an answer, but it's not really my answer. It's Bill Belichick's answer. And this was a question he was asked a few years ago, and everybody really appreciated his answer because Bill Belichick doesn't often give you good answers. So I'm going to read to you what Bill Belichick says is the key to executing a successful screen pass. He says, well, the screen game is a team play, so there's a lot of people involved with the screen. Obviously, it's a deceptive play. There's some acting in it, trying to make it look like one thing when it's really something else. That's the quarterback. It's the line. It's the receivers. It's the screen back. Sometimes the idea is to draw the rushers to the screen and throw it over them. Sometimes it's to create some kind of action away from the play and then screen back to the opposite side. There are various wide receiver screens, so exterior screens, kind of middle screens, if you will, kind of around the numbers area. There are screens that are closer to the line of scrimmage. Again, misdirection screens that go to the other side of the ball. There are a lot of different ways of doing that, but basically they're all deceptive plays that you want to try, again, to make the defense think it's one thing when it's something else. No one guy can do that. If one guy doesn't do it, then a lot of times the defender will read right through that, and even though the other 10 guys could be doing it well, if one guy doesn't do the right thing, then you've got a bad play. So right there from Bill Belichick, it's a team play. Everybody's working to sell it, and everyone has to execute. One guy not doing their job, it's an easy tip, and you go find the football. The other thing that I would add to Bill Belichick's answer, which I feel weird saying that, but I would say that the timing of those calls matter. What have you done throughout the course of the game that is going to make those things that you're going to sell this window dressing, if you will, matter, right? You have to call it at the right time under the right circumstances. I think that goes into a successful screenplay. Uh, The second question from Michael is, do you think the Bills have the right personnel for the screen pass? I absolutely do. So two things really stand out when you think screen passes. Guys that can create after the catch – have good vision, see the field well, and can can cut off blockers, which I think the Bills absolutely do. And Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, uh, Stephon Diggs, John Brown, guys that can do that. Even Dawson Knox. And then you need to have offensive linemen that can get out in space and connect with moving targets, which I think the Bills have. And you need wide receivers that will also block or sell. I don't I don't know what's missing for the Bills. It's execution. They have to get it down in terms of everyone executing appropriately so that way they're truly selling the play, creating the deception, and it working. It's an execution thing. I've told you guys about Built Bar in the past, but they're back with a new product line and they are better than ever before. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar that I've ever had and now it's even better. They've revamped their formulas, they've changed their packaging, And the best tasting protein bar I've ever had is even better. They have 18 amazing flavors 
They have nut and non-nut flavors. They have six new flavors. Check these out. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp to go with the 12 original flavors that we already love. These things are amazing. They're all covered with 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. They have the texture of a candy bar. They're great for anyone who is health conscious. Whether you want to lose weight, maintain weight, you want to indulge in a delicious treat. Built Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and they're great for anyone that is on the keto diet. Right now, you get a free cooler with any purchase while supplies last. So make sure you go on there, get that free cooler. And then we've also got a deal for you. You go to BuiltBar.com and you use promo code LOCKEDON. It'll get you 10 bucks off your next order. Pete says, my question for you involves upcoming contracts to keep drafted players in-house. I know we'd like to keep them all if they perform, but this is probably not the reality. Am I crazy to think that Trey White could end up being the odd man out? Here's my line of thinking. With Dawkins' extension and Allen hopefully being the franchise quarterback, it leaves the Bills near-term looking at possible extensions for Milano, Edmonds, and White. We can even look ahead to another year to at least Oliver and perhaps Knox and Ford as long-term possibilities if they continue to develop in the way we think they may. The Bills are committed to McDermott, and as you outlined, he has a history of emphasizing linebackers while accepting a rotating cornerback situation. I believe of the five defensive positions you mentioned, cornerback is number four on the list as valued by the team. White is looking to set the cornerback market in the future with no rush to negotiate, and he has earned that right. At the rate the cornerback market is rising, might White outprice his services for what the Bills prioritize? I'm not necessarily arguing for this approach by McBean, but is the thought of losing White something we might at least have to consider which is a heck of a lot easier to accept when you're winning. Cough, Gilmore. Thanks and go Bills. It's a really good question, Pete. Right off the bat, I feel like I need to explain a little bit further the rankings that I offered. A few weeks ago on the podcast, I was asked to rank the defensive positions in importance to the Bills. And I put cornerback a bit down on the list. And that was in totality. Being mindful of the rotating situation at CB2, that's historically been the case in McDermott's defense. And so I do think it is very important for him to have that number one guy, that top guy, but it's the CB2 spot that's a revolving door, and that's kind of why I pushed it down. So I think cornerback as a whole is not a super high-priority position in Sean McDermott's defense, but I do think having that true number one corner is important. So that was more of a combination of both sides of things. Now, I do expect Trey White to get somewhere between, I would guess, honestly, 22 and $25 million a season for his next contract. And like Pete's pointed out here, there's a lot of guys that have to get paid here. And you try to build the best football team that you can with the resources that you have. Now, I guess right off the bat, I have a concern about letting Trey White go. He's your first draft pick that you've ever made as head coach of the team. He's become an all pro for you. He's 
become one of the best players in the league at his position. He's not just a good cover guy. He takes away the football. He's great for the locker room. He's great for the community. I just I don't see any upside in letting him go other than, well, he's really expensive. This is the goal, right? This is the dream. You draft a cornerback in the first round, he becomes amazing, and you pay him a lot of money. That's what you want to do. I would find other things to do before Trey White was on uh, the list of guys I'd let out let out the door. Now, if he was going to leave, it would be because I traded him and I got multiple first round picks back for him, uh, just like the Jalen Ramsey. You know that deal. The Jaguars weren't in any position to maximize Jalen Ramsey's prime. The best thing for them was to get rid of him, use him for uh, draft capital back, and, and try to regroup and rebuild. The Bills are a team that is in position to maximize Trey White's prime. And I want it. I want all the Trey White that I can get. Um, so that leads me on a personal level to be more interested in letting a guy like Milano walk and finding you know more economic options at defensive end. I just feel like there's other ways to do it if it's uh, if it's just about the, the salary. It just would he just wouldn't be the guy that I, I would want out the door. So um, I, I see where you're coming from. I see your angle, but the CB two spots, the one that's the revolving door. It's always that one guy, and whether it was Captain Munnerlyn, and then it was Josh Norman, and now it's Trey White for Sean McDermott, uh, and then it's the revolving door opposite of that player. So um, interesting. I'm looking forward to really digging into some salary stuff with you guys tomorrow on the podcast. But if I'm the Bills and I'm Brandon Bean, I'm finding every possible way to make sure Trey White um, plays for my football team for as long as possible. Vin says, this is the one I talked about yesterday, that it was a personal question that I needed some time to think about my answer. So Vin says, Joe, imagine Bean walks into McDermott's office and Bean says, you know, Sean, this Joe Marino really has an eye for talent. Sean says, I agree. I just finished listening to Lockdown Bills and I liked his rankings a lot for the upcoming draft. Bean, how about we bring him in as a scout and see what he can do for us? Sean, absolutely, let's do it. He could spot the untapped potential. What does Joe Marino do? Take the job or stay put in Carolina with your current position? This is tough. One thing that I, I don't know if I've said this before on this podcast, but one thing I will let you know is that my goals in working in football was never to work for a team. It was never my aspirations to be a scout in the NFL or be a general manager. I always wanted to work on the media side. You know, it just seems like the NFL life is so unstable. You know, for the most part, like scouting jobs don't pay well. You're just driving around the country um, a lot of time away from family. And that was not something that really interested me. And so the media side was always my goal. And so it's weird that, you know, I'm in exactly the spot that I want to be doing exactly the work that I want to do. So, you know, to, to have the opportunity to leave for a team, I think in general would not be something that I would be interested in doing. Um, now, obviously that's different when you say it's the Buffalo Bills and it's this Buffalo Bills regime under Sean McDermott, under Brandon Bean, you know, leadership that I can really believe in. And, and, you know, that would be something that I would probably really have to consider. I would hope that they would let me be an area scout in the Southeast so I wouldn't have to move. Um, but, you know, I think it's one of those deals where whenever I left my, my previous line of work to go full-time into football media, it was a calculated risk that I took. I, I had a good position in a stable company where I was advancing and doing quite well. Um, but when the opportunity to go full-time into football 
media presented itself to me, I, I, I really asked myself or really kind of had to come to grips with, this is all you've ever wanted to do. Are you going to regret it if you don't? Are you going to um, wonder what if? You know, it's a, it's a step of faith, but, you know, you don't have to wonder if you don't take it. You gave yourself that chance. You took that chance, and it's worked out great for me. Um, for this, it's like I feel the same way, where the opportunity to go work for the Buffalo Bills – is something that I don't know that I would be able to look at and say and regret one day, you know, if I didn't do it and think to myself, man, you had a chance to go work for the bills. Like would, would I regret that one day? I think I would. And so I wouldn't want to live with that again. I would hope I get to be an area scout in the Southeast, but uh, that would be my answer. I'd go help Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean find some untapped potential. Maybe I can get them to find a punter. Ryan says, Brandon Bean said when he picked Jake Fromm that he was just sticking out like a sore thumb value-wise. Is there any chance Fromm gets flipped to another team for a draft pick next year? It would be quite the sly maneuver if Bean picked Fromm in the fifth round and then traded him for a fourth round pick in next year's draft. This year's roster is pretty deep, and the new draft picks are fighting for spots, but with the cap and contract situations next year, being able to bring in cheap, controllable depth might be pivotal. So, Here's if the Bills can get a fourth round pick for Jake Fromm, like do the deal right now. I, here's the thing, right? I think there's a difference between perception and reality of Jake Fromm. We watch Jake Fromm go be the quarterback at Georgia and have lots of success and be a very good college football player. And as soon as he started having success as a true freshman, you know, everybody jumped in and was like, oh, this is a first round pick. You know, he's got all these great intangibles. You know, this is this is a, a top tier prospect. And then reality came and the opportunity for NFL teams to draft Jake Fromm came and he fell to the mid fifth round. I think the perception of what we have been told Jake Fromm is versus the reality of what the NFL believes Jake Fromm is are two very different things. The NFL had the chance to draft Jake Fromm. They let him fall to the mid-fifth round as a quarterback. If he was this highly valuable player where people loved his skill set and thought he had a big-time chance to be an important player for the NFL, they would have taken him higher, much higher than the mid-fifth round. Now, I know the NFL makes mistakes. You're probably thinking, what about Russell Wilson and Tom Brady? Well, those are very (laughs) rare exceptions. Look at other quarterbacks that are drafted in the fifth, sixth, seventh rounds and tell me about all the success that they're having in the NFL. It was a big indictment on Fromm when he fell that far. So, Jake Fromm, the last we knew about where the NFL valued Jake Fromm, it was the NFL draft. They let him fall to the fifth round. There's no preseason games. There's no joint practices. There's no new exposures for the NFL to have on Jake Fromm. The only new information that the NFL would have on Jake Fromm is that the Bills don't want him. Because they either made him available versus, you know, with a trade, or they release him and they want to put him on their practice squad. That would be the only piece of new information about Jake Fromm since he was drafted. I don't think he's this valuable guy that the league's pounding down the door to have. Somebody wanted him, they could have drafted him multiple times. Let me tell you one other stat about Jake Fromm. 
He had the second lowest percentage of on-target throws, 10 yards down the field last season in the Power Five. 11.8% of his targets beyond 10 yards were on target. Jake Farms, he's a marginal talent. So I just don't know what the appeal out there is for him. His ceiling is a low-level backup quarterback. His ceiling is Matt Barkley. The Bills already have Matt Barkley. Matt Barkley was available midseason for the Bills to pick up in 2018. I just, I, I don't, I think we have to come to grips with reality on Jake Fromm and what his true value is in the NFL. Mark says, my question for you is regarding your opinions on both Josh Allen and Jake Fromm as NFL prospects. Specifically, how did your pre-draft evaluations compare and contrast for Jake and Josh? I've heard you and several others state they're basically total opposite players in terms of skill set, athletic ability, play style, and competition levels that they played against. Josh was a super athletic but very raw and unrefined prospect who played with lesser competition. Jake was the under-athletic, overachieving prospect who played with higher competition. I also understand you had low expectations and grades for both Josh and Jake, low or lower at least relative to the surrounding competition of their respective draft classes, and significantly so for Jake Fromm. I'm curious if you would elaborate on some of the nuances that led to your conclusions. On the surface, it would seem almost paradoxical that the two players who were such different prospects could be both be low-graded players, sort of like changing the variables in an equation but winding up with the same answer. However, having said all this, I do think I... I do think I understand why you and others like you, whose opinions I trust and respect, rank these players the way that you did. I'm just wondering if you would expound upon this further. So, yes, I do stand by that they are completely opposite players. Jake Fromm is a marginal-sized quarterback with a weak arm that has good football IQ, minimal athleticism, that had a ton of success at Georgia and the SEC. Josh Allen is this super rough around the edges quarterback with a rocket arm, but sloppy mechanics and inconsistent play. He actually, I think, I would I would argue that Josh Allen was a bad college quarterback at Wyoming, but he's a great athlete with great size and a big arm. So, like, right there, they're just very different players. Let me read to you my... Summary section of my scouting report for Jake Fromm and Josh Allen, and I think this will allow you to see the different pictures that I tried to paint when summarizing these two players. So Jake Fromm, this is what I said, thrust into action as a true freshman, Jake Fromm, quarterback Georgia to three consecutive SEC championship games as the facilitator of the offense. While there was notable growth from 2017 to 2018, Fromm plateaued in 2019 and regressed. The overarching concern with Fromm is that he just has too many limitations to project him as a starter in the NFL and warrant a high draft selection. He doesn't offer much in the way of athleticism, and his throwing power is below average, limiting the plays and throws he can execute. From an intangibles and football IQ perspective, Fromm aces the test. All the ingredients are present for Fromm to enjoy a lengthy career as a backup and spot starter, but there just isn't much optimism that he will ever be the guy. Now, for Josh Allen, this is what I said about him. 
Allen is among the most physically gifted passers to enter the NFL. He has rare arm talent but lacks consistency in several of the critical areas needed to be a successful NFL starter. While his ceiling is extremely high, considerable development is needed for him to take the reins of an NFL offense. In year one, Allen should be the understudy of his predecessor and function as a developmental quarterback. By year three, Allen has the talent needed to take him as far as he can develop. If it all comes together, he can be special. With that said, his college tape is marred by erratic ball placement and poor decisions, and there was little to no growth in his two seasons as a starter. So you can see I recognize the room for Allen to get better and and really maximize his physical gifts into being a top-tier quarterback. I said that he can be special. And then for Jake Fromm, I just really kind of harp on the limitations and how I, I think he has a low ceiling in the NFL. And so you have risk associated with both because on one hand, you look at a prospect like Jake Fromm and you say, well, at least I can get a guy that can probably be a reasonable backup quarterback for me. With Josh Allen, you look at a guy who, yeah, he could be special. He can be a really dynamic player, but this is a guy who has enough warts for me to be concerned that he can never materialize into anything. So I think you could take those things, and while they're completely different, you can come away with similar valuations. And by the way, I had a higher grade on, on Josh Allen than I did Jake Fromm. So I had Jake, Josh Allen graded on day two. Day two means that I can be, they believe you can be an eventual starter. If I have you graded on, on day three like I did Jake Fromm, then I think that your ceiling is as a backup. So I think that, I mean, you can see where I wasn't high on either one of them. Still, there was differences in where I had them pegged in terms of my valuation of them as players. Um, and and see why you can you know take different pieces uh, of the puzzle and while they're very different uh, the valuations can be somewhat similar although I, I again I, I had a mu- I had a higher grade uh, and and the meaning of the grade was was quite different I hope that answer gave you the context that you were looking for there and I appreciate a really well thought out question there Mark so if I can explain that differently or better. Hit me up. I want to make sure that we come away on the same page uh, with this one. Between never-ending laundry cycles and incoming emails, you've got plenty on your to-do list. Give yourself one less thing to worry about and let DoorDash take care of your next meal. DoorDash is the app that brings you food that you're craving right now right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose the food that you want to eat, and it will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. With over 300,000 partners in the United States, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local restaurant, and your food will be left at your door. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCKDOWN. That's 5 bucks off your first order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code LOCKDOWN. Again, don't forget, that's code LOCKDOWN for 5 bucks off your first order with DoorDash. John says, I understand why the lower cap is a concern for re-signing free agents, but everyone will be dealing with the same issue, so it's all relative. I think elite players will still get paid like Pat Mahomes and George Kittle, but the really good to great range players will be most severely impacted by the pay cuts. Someone who I think falls in that range is Matt Milano. I want him back. I think he's integral to our success. 
on defense. Rather than taking the perspective of saying we don't have enough to afford to resign him with an eyes with an eye towards Trey, Edmonds, Josh in the near future, what if we take the alternative view? What teams are serious threats to sign Milano away from us? Who values that position more than McDermott and has the cap flexibility to make a run at Milano? Hopefully no one. Also, when are we cutting Trent Murphy? Does the altered offseason impact his next payday? Shouldn't I expect his release before his next check gets written? Well, quickly on Trent Murphy, I think the Bills need to make sure they know what they have in A.J. Epinesa and Daryl Johnson. I think that's critical. The Bills want to be deep up front on defense. They've allocated a lot of resources to developing this defensive line rotation. Make sure you don't spoil it by prematurely letting go of Trent Murphy when he finished really strong last year and you know exactly who he is in this system. Now let's talk about Matt Milano. You mentioned, you know, what teams could be in the running for signing Matt Milano and, you know, what's the reality that there's a big market for him. So I went to the draftnetwork.com where we spent several weeks working on team needs. Uh, We split up the entire NFL and really dug into it. And we have the following teams have linebacker listed as a primary need. Not their most primary need, but one of their primary needs. We have the Browns, Cardinals, Eagles, Falcons, Giants, Lions, Packers, Raiders, Rams, and Saints. All of those teams, we think linebacker is one of their primary needs. Now, I think you can immediately erase the Saints, Eagles, and Falcons. They have no cap space whatsoever. The Browns, Lions, Packers, Raiders, and Rams all have some cap space where they could swing it for Milano if they really, uh, you know, wanted to go and get get him right. If they if they felt like that's was their big ticket guy, they could probably make that happen. The two teams that I think are the most likely to go after Milano that have a big need and have tons of cap space. Arizona Cardinals, who they just plucked Jordan Phillips for the Bills defense. So, you know, they, they're definitely in tune with what's going on. They paid Jordan Hicks big money, and they're going to want to replace him. And then also uh, the New York Giants. The New York Giants are a team that um, has enough cap space, and if they feel like they want Matt Milano, they can get him. And, you know, Milano's a great matchup linebacker, and I'm sure Patrick Graham, their defensive coordinator, would would love to have him. But um, we'll see. Those are the two things. Those are the two teams that have the mix of need and cap space when it comes to linebacker that could uh, make a run at Milano. The Cardinals and the Giants. Jack says, with the new way the practice squad rules work, if the Bills cut a veteran and he clears waivers, for example, Hauschka or Barkley, would their current cap number still count against the cap, or would it be a lesser amount? Thank you. Uh, so it would be completely new. They have to be cut, cleared waivers and then re-signed to the practice squad. So the other kind of caveat with this thing here is that those players have to agree to come back and be on the practice squad, and it'll be for a much lesser deal than they would have if they were on the active roster. Now, they could get promoted to the active roster, but they may want to hold out and get signed directly to a team's uh, you know, active roster. Edgar says, Hi, Joe. I don't understand why special teamers count towards roster construction as they're as their original position. For example, if Bean decides we need to have six linebackers on the roster, Matikiewicz shouldn't be counted as one of those six as he is only four special teams. Same goes for Taiwan Jones at running back. You know, I, I just, I don't know what the harm is in, in this. You know, Tyler Matikiewicz is a fully trained linebacker. He is a linebacker. His primary role is special teams. He matters for special teams. But at the end of the day, 
He does have a position in his linebacker. Same thing with Tywin Jones. At the end of the day, he does have a position, and it's running back. And I think when you think about those position groups, when you say you want to keep six linebackers, it's with the understanding that one of them is really a primary special teams guy. Just like with running back, you want to keep four running backs, that's knowing that that fourth running back is a guy that is really primarily a special teams guy. So I think we're I think we're splitting hairs having this conversation, to be completely honest with you. They're fully trained at those positions. That's the, that's the position they play. They're just their primary function is special teams. Samantha says the Bills offense takes a huge jump this season and Brian Dable starts getting some attention for head coaching gigs. The Jets have a lackluster season and Gase is out. What are the chances Dable becomes the next Jets head coach? I don't think this is crazy at all. I think this is very reasonable, especially if they want to continue rolling with Sam Darnold. You got, you've got a guy in, in Brian Dable who has seen firsthand what Sean McDermott has done to change the culture in Buffalo. Right, That's something that needs to happen with the New York Jets where Adam Gase is a total joke of a leader. And you have a situation where Brian Dable, in this scenario, maximizes Josh Allen. I would want that guy to come help Sam Darnold. I think those are two big pluses in his corner. He's seen firsthand a culture change, right? Obviously, he's been around Belichick and Saban and now McDermott. And he's figured it out with Josh Allen. I'd want that guy. I think that Brian Dave will be a great option for the New York Jets. Now, that's me not hoping for that to happen, right? I don't want to lose Dable and I don't want to lose him to the Jets. But if I'm the Jets, it makes a hell of a lot of sense. And on top of that, you disrupt the offensive cohesion that the Bills have built. So I think that'd be a good move for the New York Jets, to be completely honest with you. Next one comes from Evan, who says, at this point, it's looking like we're trending in the right direction to have NFL football back week one. However, we all know there's a possible scenario where the season is cut short due to an unfortunate COVID outbreak. With the personal health risks the players are subjecting themselves and their families to, it would be a shame to have the effort go to waste with a season that is cut short. What are your thoughts on flipping the draft order and the event the season is not completed, meaning best record by the time the season ends gets the first overall pick and worst picks 32nd? Might be easier than ever to tank this season, and this could be a good way to promote competitiveness in the games we do get to see. I I think I have to go back to my fundamental belief that I don't think NFL teams tank. I don't think it's something that really happens. Careers are so short. Success matters. Your film resume is so important. Teams are coaching for their lives. And I just don't think that a team throwing the season or intentionally losing games is something that really happens. So because I have a core belief that tanking is not a real thing in the NFL, I don't have concerns about it happening. Um, I do understand where you're coming from. I think the dynamics of this year lend itself favorably for that actually happening. But um, not so much that I would reverse the order, you know, and, and, you know, depending on how far along you get, you know, I don't know if you have enough of a sample size. I think, think things get really complicated. I'll be honest with you. I'm completely uncomfortable with coming up with the order for the next draft if the season's not complete. So I, I do have great concern about this. Um, at some point, you probably, you know, if you get deep enough into the season, you probably need to find a way to finish it in some way, shape, or form at some point. Um, but uh, hopefully we're we're speculating on something that doesn't happen. But my fundamental belief that the NFL doesn't have tanking, um, it really it really gets in the way of me being concerned about this and thinking about alternative realities, um, to be completely honest with you. 
All right, folks, that's it. That'll do it for us today. Two episodes of Herd Mentality this week. Looking forward to having a conversation with you tomorrow about the salary cap situation and the players who are about to get extended and how much it's going to cost and opportunities that the Bills have to cut players on their team and how much they can save. I think we really need to get into this because it's it dictates so much of the decisions the Bills are going to make here moving forward um, with guys that they keep and rollover cap space and all that type of stuff. So we're going to get into the weeds with that tomorrow. Don't miss it. Make sure you are subscribed. As always, I kindly ask that you rate and review the podcast, share it, retweet it. Uh, all those things are so appreciated. Look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.